I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. 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 I found that such a helpful tool uh, to see all those different faces all proclaiming the same gospel truth that we are living with. So this morning, in the next 25, 30 minutes, I hope to land our sermon series. Then we're going to take communion together uh, as a, a congregation. Well, some quick terms of reference this morning, just to help us, if you're unfamiliar. I'm going to use the terms soul and spirit interchangeably. So if you close your eyes now, that sense of who you are that's independent of your body, that's your soul, your spirit. I'm going to use it interchangeably. So please don't think I'm meaning different things, uh, certainly this morning. And when I talk about heaven, I just want to... Uh, the Bible uses heaven in like two distinct ways. There's the earth and the heavens, the physical things, uh, which is spoken to being. But also, we've gotten to use this sense of heaven is in the age to come. And so we need to understand. So when I speak this morning, try and think through, when I talk about heaven, most likely I'm talking about the recreated earth and heavens, the physical things that God has created. But I might also be referring to the age that is to come, the new Jerusalem the renewed creation. That will become more apparent. But if I don't say that beginning, some of you have been thinking, where is he coming from? And I'm realizing we're quite a broad constituency and people mean different things by different words. Hopefully that is more helpful than unhelpful. You good for that? Let me pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us in our time of singing and praying. Thank you for what you have done week by week, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment in our lives. And I ask that what I say now would be a word of comfort, not just those in the room, but also those online, watching live now, and those who are watching on catch-up for whole numbers of reasons. Holy Spirit, continue this work, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the final section of the creed, the last two phrases, starting with the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body. This idea that we will be resurrected from the dead and receive a new body. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 42 to 44 and then 49. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. That's this body that we live in now, this tent. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is buried. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. We're very aware of that. It is raised in power. 
It is sown, it is buried, it is, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And just as we've been born the image of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus. And when we talk about the resurrection body, we have to talk about, first of all, because we're talking about believers this morning, we've talked about a believer's death. I do want to say, first of all, that a believer's death is important to God. We need need to start there, and we need to acknowledge that. But death has lost its grip on us. The psalmist says in 116.15, the Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. When you've sat with someone as they're dying, they're not isolated. The Lord is in that moment way more present than we are, and he cares deeply for the death of his loved ones. But actually, death has lost its grip on us. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sin? And so he cares deeply, but we also know that death has lost its grip on us. So I just want to say it is appropriate to mourn, although we can be certain or sure of where a Christian goes when they die, and that's to be in the very presence of Jesus. I want to say again, it's appropriate to mourn our loss. King David mourned when he heard that Saul and Jonathan had died. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. You see that in Acts 8. Jesus himself shed tears when he saw the mourning for Lazarus. So it's good and appropriate to mourn. It's not a lack of faith to mourn. But we need to mourn with Christian hope. When Christians die, their physical body, yeah, yeah, that remains on earth. It either gets burnt up or it gets put in the ground to, to decay. But who you are will go to be with Jesus. This is a huge word of, of comfort to us uh, from the, the creed. Jesus said to the crucified faith, so they're on the cross, he's got two other guys around him being crucified. He says to one, I presume he looks him in the eye, he says, I assure you today, you'll be with me in paradise. And we know that God does not lie and Jesus is God. So he has gave him that assurance. And so in that moment, your spirit goes immediately into God's presence. So Paul writes, Paul said this, I long to go to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. Philippians 1.23. And so when believers die, their body, or their tent, if you want to call it like that, because we're going camping soon, this perishable seed is sown into the ground, but who they are, that spiritual being that we are, on our death, we go to be with Jesus. We go to enjoy his presence. We go to paradise, and it's there we wait until his second coming. So have you got that? So everyone in this room most likely will die unless Christ comes again. So I'm talking to everyone now who's online, on catch-up, and in this room. You are going to die. Godly people most likely will mourn you. But you will be in the presence of Jesus. And so whatever they're doing, you'll be largely unaware, I'm guessing. And you'll be captivated by him and who else is around Christ. And what do believers receive 
And when do they receive our resurrected body? Which is when Jesus returns. So at Jesus' second coming, those of us who have already died and those of us uh, who have already died or just about to die, we're going to be raised up with Christ. We're going to be raised to life and we're going to receive glorified bodies. When he returns, we're going to be made like him. Philippians 3.21 says this, Jesus is going to take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. And he's going to use the same power with which he's going to bring everything under his control. So Jesus is going to change your body and he's going to give you a new resurrection body that is like his. And that's all that he does. Wayne Grudem says this, receiving our resurrection body is the final step in the application of our redemption or our salvation. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers from all time who have died and he reunites them with their souls and with their spirits. And changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive. That might be us, who knows. Thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. And I, I want to create a moment just to let that truth settle in. There may be aspects of your body you like. Maybe aspects of your body you don't like. But we're going to receive resurrection bodies all at the same time. And what are these bodies going to be like? Does anyone else think about that? Well, the Bible tells us that they will be imperishable. There'll be no sign of aging and weakness. We're going to be strong and healthy together. I'm 55 now, and I'm just realizing that the elasticity on my skin is diminishing. And so in various eras, I'm thinking, like on my quads, I'm thinking they used to be like, well, I thought quite put tight. Now I'm like, oh man, there's like folds of skin. Like, ah, oh, I'm not sure shorts are quite the option they once were. <laughs> Our bodies are going to reflect the pinnacle. Think about this. The pinnacle of God's creative abilities that's what our bodies are going to be like and we're going to see humanity as God intended more than that we're going to be recognizable like Moses and Elijah in Luke 9 were recognizable oh that's Moses that's a, there's something different about them we're going to recognize one another and, and not with a sense of comedy but like, oh, wow. That, that's who they really are. I never got to see that. And it'd be like, wow, that's stunning what God has given you, how you reflect his image. Because it's hard to see that, isn't it, in the speed of church life. It's hard to see that glory and the honor that he's put into each of us because of the pace and what's gone on in the life before you've met them, all that stuff. We will see people as God sees them how he's created them, how they reflect his glory eternally as we come together as the people of God. So we need to recognize that we are 
embodied spirits. We are embodied souls. We're who Sean Green is. I'm a spiritual being at the moment in a decaying body, but one day Sean Green will be a spiritual being in a resurrection body, and then you'll get to meet who Sean Green truly is. And we'll get to meet who you truly are. That is ahead of us. And it's in, the, it's in the creed. It's important. In those days, there was a, a thinking coming in that they thought that actually what's really important is the spiritual being who is Sean Green. So it mattered not Sean Green, whoever it was in the time. So it mattered little about the body. It didn't matter whether you uh, cared for the body or whether you did sin with the body. What the important thing was the spiritual being. But the creed tells us we are embodied people. Body and spirit, body and soul. It's important that we understand that because that is where we are heading. So let's move on to the resurrection body, now the life everlasting. So we are going to die and then we're going to be, receive a resurrection body and then the life everlasting. Revelations 21, 1 to 5 says this. Then I saw a new heaven... And a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. There's lots of metaphors going on here. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home, this is important is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. In this church, we preach the Bible. And we do as best we can to take it seriously and believe what the Bible says. This isn't what we have made up. We're preaching the Bible. And, and it's wonderful. So, let's just spend a little bit of time thinking about this. What are Jesus' first and second comings ultimately about? They are to bring back together the presence of God... And his work of creation. Let me explain that a little bit now. So you can flip this. I've come up with this crazy diagram. It makes sense to me and Row. So let's see how we go. So just set. We're setting the scene. So this is creation. This is the creation timeline. Creation pre-fall. We're not going to get to how old creation is. Young earth, old earth. We're all creationists here. Pre-creation. It was good. God made it and it was good. We have a rebellion in a garden by our first mother and father, Adam and Eve. And then at that point, from then on, creation is groaning. We are living in this time, creation is groaning. It is broken. We're in 2023. We don't know how long it will be until Jesus returns. But we know there's going to be a second coming. 
And there's going to be something called a new Jerusalem. We've gone from a garden to a city. There's been some development. It's better. And there's going to be a renewed creation. You got that? Okay. We're going to go again. Ready for an overlay? Let's go. Here's the overlay. Woohoo! Now we're good. Now the red is the presence of God. So in Eden, God was amongst the people. He walked with Adam and Eve. The presence of God was in his good creation. Adam and Eve rebel. And at that moment, they're put out of the garden. So now, post-fall, they're now out of the garden and creation is groaning. But the presence of God shows up, however your timelines work, in a tent in the desert, the tabernacle. He turns up again, hundreds of years later, in a stone building in Jerusalem, just for a few people to go in once a year to see evidence of his presence. Incredibly, for about 30 years, we go from a tent to a building to the Christ, Jesus. He's amongst us. We have the presence of God in his creation. And then blank. It's not quite blank because we have the Holy Spirit in us, but it's just a diagram, can't do all truth. But you can see what's going on. 2023, we can't go anywhere now to meet with the presence of God. He's not resident in a place that's so holy, it will kill you if you enter with sin in you. That's not there now. Now we get, at some point, Christ is going to come again. It's going to be a new Jerusalem. And can you see the presence of God is bigger there because it's better than even Eden in the renewed creation. It's better where we're going because in the new creation, renewed creation, if nothing else, because of now our union with Christ Jesus and because of our link to Adam is now broken by death, in the renewed creation, the presence of God was once walking in a garden is now resident in us through the Holy Spirit. And more than that, our old nature has gone. We've got a resurrection body like Christ. Therefore, our choice, our decision, our volition to sin is gone. So in the new heavens and earth where it's all renewed, it's better. Eden is pointing forward to the renewed heaven and earth. It's better because in that place, there is no chance of sin. And we can enjoy an everlasting life in the presence of God. So when we think of the renewed creation, we need to think about Eden, but it's pointing forward to the renewed heaven and the renewed earth, the renewed creation, where we receive a better resurrection body than Adam and Eve had. And because of our union with Christ, we've got a better communion. Now God is not just walking in a garden that we can hide from him behind a bush, or at least try to. He's now in us. And we have, our, because of our union with him, which is unbreakable, it also means we have an unbreakable communion with him. I'm just letting this settle into our souls. I've been in this for numbers of weeks. It's better also because in the Garden of Eden, our first mother and father, they were able to choose righteous and unrighteous things. They had to choose what to cultivate, righteous things or unrighteous things. 
We won't get that choice in the renewed heaven and earth. And that is better. You see, in Eden, Adam and Eve ended up being cultivated. And they were subdued by the serpent. They were supposed to cultivate the creation, but in fact, the serpent cultivated and subdued them. In the renewed creation, we're going to be eternally free from the serpent's cultivation. We're going to be free from even having a capacity to sin. I'm hoping this is starting to seep into our understandings and joy is starting to grow. We will live everlastingly exploring and cultivating the renewed creation without ever having the danger of repeating Adam's sin. That, that, that is good news. That is good news. And so we're going to have the presence of God and his creation will be together once again. So all who have trusted in Jesus' broken body, his shed blood, are going to be there. The renewed creation, heaven as it referred to earlier in this meeting, is going to be our final and our permanent home. And it is going to be a place just like this. It's not a state of mind. It's not a spiritual realm. It's going to be a renewed creation. It's going to be a place where God will once again dwell with his people. He's going to be in his people. It's going to be a place of reunions. I look around. I know some of you have known death. You know, in this renewed age that's ahead of us, it's going to be a place of reunion. It's going to be a place of renewed bodies. Some of you... you your bodies are letting you down now. And, and they've held you back for years. We're all going to receive renewed bodies and renewed minds. Those patterns of thoughts and thinkings, they will be renewed. It's going to be a place where we're going to understand why. Why, why? And we're going to have accurate knowledge. What really happened? How do things really work? It's going to be a place of beauty beyond imagination. It's going to be a place of everlasting, perfect worship. By that I mean I'm not singing. I'm talking a lifestyle of worship for the living God that will last everlasting. It's easy to almost say what won't be in the renewed creation. There's going to be no Satan. There's going to be no sin. When I talk about sin, there's going to be no power of sin. There's going to be no presence of sin. And there's going to be no penalty of sin. Just think that through. None of that. There's going to be no keys or locks. Come on! No one's going to lock themselves out of the house anymore. Why would you need to lock your house? Why would you need to lock your house? Let's be very practical. Enjoy your keys now. There's going to be no warfare within us. You know what I'm talking about. All around us. There's going to be no sorrow. There's going to be no pain, no more sacrifice, no more separation. We talk about the sea. So it's, man, it, man, it was a metaphor for separation. There's going to be no more living by faith. Praise God. <laughs> that, that will come to an end. No more faith. There's no more effects of the fall or curse. Some said to me uh, the last few weeks, you know, they reckon, they reckon that dogs growl. Because creation is groaning because of our sin. 
They had nothing to do with it, and yet they're cursed. And so dogs growl at us occasionally. They go, you did this. Well, they're right. We've spoiled creation, and the animals pay the price. You know, I thought, ah, oh, that's really, I don't know if it's true, but it's a really helpful way of thinking about living in, and dogs do growl at us, don't they? Growl at me. Things we won't be doing in the renewed creation. Again, it's way easier to say we're not going to be doing this stuff. We won't be burying people. We won't be mourning or crying tears of pain. I think there'll be tears of joy. I think there's going to be some howlingly funny jokes. Yesterday I was doing a real belly laugh walking around the lake, just chuckling away at some of the things we saw. I think we're going to be laughing lots in tears of laughter but not fear. We won't be exercising faith. I want to say this, or carrying doubts about God. We all carry, I carry doubts about God. You carry doubts about God. There won't be doubts. Janine and others, David, we won't be doing evangelism. Sorry about that. (laughs) We won't be exercising self-discipline and self-control. I'm guessing we won't be praying in the way that we understand it now. We won't be going to weddings. You know, there's no more marriage. We all know uh, collective intimacy. We've got a long time together. We're going to get to know one another. So what, are we, what does this mean? So we've got this resurrection body, and we've got this life everlasting. And life everlasting is more about the quality of that life in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without the volition to be able to, or decision to be able to sin. And in a body that's not going to let it down, the quality of that life everlasting is really the strength of this, not that it goes on forever like a really long bank holiday weekend. It's life everlasting. It's, it's life where you're not broken or, or envious or proud or, or fearful. It's life in Christ. Everlasting. Three quick things. It matters how we live. God cares about his world because he made it. And he said this world is good. As such, we should take care about his work of creation. We need to look after this creation. Let's not disrespect the artist. The truth is, we treat the earth like a hotel room. We think it's not really ours. I'm not staying long. Actually, I'm going to leave. I've got the right to leave it messy. Someone else is going to clear it up. That's how we live on this planet earth. And actually, it comes down to a justice issue we're going to look at as a church later on. We need to remember that what God has made, he has declared as good. And he's asked us to look after it. And he's going to renew all things that he has declared good. So the stuff that we've messed up is going to get renewed. I'm guessing we're going to see extinct animals because he made all animals. He said it's all good and he's going to renew all things. I guess we're finally going to see how big a dodo is. I guess. Maybe we're going to see the dinosaurs. We're into all sorts of territory now, aren't we? Who knows? But if God's made it and he said it's good, sin doesn't get the final word. It all gets renewed. What we do for his glory that is good will get renewed, I'm guessing. So it matters how we live now. The stuff we do now, I'm guessing, will get renewed. We need to remember that what we create for his glory most likely will also get renewed for his glory. So we need, it matters how we live now, what we do. 
Secondly, let's cultivate a longing for the age to come. Talk of a second coming and a renewed creation. If I'm honest, I have to keep pinching myself because it's, it seems almost far-fetched, doesn't it? Do you not think it almost feels like, are you making this up, Sean? No, it is in the Bible. And largely, because life is so comfortable for most of us, it doesn't seem real. And because life is so comfortable and it seems so good, that results in us losing our longing. But we mustn't allow our questions of how it's all going to happen because I don't have it all tied down. I just know it will. Don't get that in the way of cultivating a hope and a desire for it to happen. Just because we don't understand how it will happen, we still need to long for it to happen. And because our lives are so comfortable, that's robbing us as a tool. You look, when people have got a hard life, they long for the age to come in the way that we don't. So we just need to recognize that. The Apostle Creed is a tool to cultivate our hope and desire so that we could say hand on heart, come Lord Jesus. Thirdly, just want to say, you don't need a bucket list. You really don't need a bucket list. Is the age to come better than what we're doing now? That's not emphatic. Is the age to come better than what we're doing now? And yet, we don't live like that's the case. Because we like our things. We like our stuff. And we really like our plans. So give me an honest answer. If I said to you, wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back tomorrow? If I'm honest, I'll be thinking, oh, I've got Peter Kay tickets next Saturday. I, I really want to see Peter Kay. I think he'd be hilarious. I'm going to laugh. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go on sabbatical. Ah, oh, is there any, genuinely, I'm thinking, I don't want to miss those things. Is it, is it just me? All of you, you're all in. Come tomorrow, Jesus, we're all in. I'm saying, I've got my plans. It can be hard for me to think that Jesus coming tomorrow is even better than an evening with Peter Kay with my family. And we'll talk that for months, but up unless Christ comes, and then we won't. Oh, come on, work with me here. Come on. I'm, I'm, and what I'm saying is, our lack of longing for the age to come is a product of our enjoyment and our comforts, and our planning of today. And it's also a result of our shallow understanding of what that renewed creation will really be like. We've just got such a shallow understanding of it. We don't think about it. We're all in the now. Yeah, Because ah, we're, we're comfortable. Sometimes we don't get excited about the everlasting life is because actually we still want the now. We still want the stuff that this age has to offer us. Now, I would really love to visit New Zealand. That is, if I had a bucket list, which I now don't, had I had a bucket list, you know, I would like to get it. But the truth of the matter is, if I don't get there before I die or Christ returns, I will get to see New Zealand when it's been renewed. Because it's all still going to be there. It's not as if like, it all gets smashed. Oh, yeah, it's ruined now. Let's start all over. It will all get renewed. The UK will still be here, presumably. Few of us will be left here. We'll all be in the sun. <laughs> I'm going to be in New Zealand. And I'm going to be on the mountains, and there's going to be no litter. I'm going to swim in the sea, and there's going to be no plastic. 
I can wait. I don't need a bucket list. You don't need a bucket list. If you don't get to do it before you die or Christ returns, it's going to be way better than a new creation. You'll miss nothing. You'll just miss the sin and the pollution and the disappointment. I won't miss that. I would still like to see it before he comes, but if I do, we'll see. I can compare it more accurately when it's been renewed. Anyway, what I'm saying is, friends, I'm trying to get you to have a more concrete understanding of life everlasting. It's not going to be a boring, unending time of singing and contributions. Because some of you literally, I mean, this is my job. I'm here every week. I do two meetings. Sometimes I'm fighting to engage for the presence of God. It's not going to be at all like that. It's going to be like a fantastic summer's day with when you've, you know the Spirit of God is in you. Your body's working well, finally. You've got no bad relationships, disappointments or fears or anxieties. Uh, and you, you just know you're living for the good of God and you're in good fellowship with people and you've got it all stretching ahead of you. That, we need to wrestle for that. But we, we need more of that in our lives, in our imagination. Yet we're so fearful of overstating it that we don't ponder and cultivate it. Come on. Much of what we do now is because we have a shallow understanding of life everlasting when we're going to be free from the frailties of the flesh and the impact of sin.